Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we've uh, been off for a week while I was away on a trip, but we are back, and I can't tell you how excited I am to uh, get into the show tonight. Um, we got um, a good friend coming back to join us, and as well as um, our good friend, doc, uh, Dr. Joe, and of course, my co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Jamie. Now I have two brand new hard drives and two of my computers. <laughs> it's just a matter of getting them up and running again. So here's the weather report. It's cold. Okay, that's it. We don't have any meteorologists, so that's all you get. Yeah, it was warm <laughs> today here, so. No kidding? Yeah, it was cold. It was cold last night. It was like 30 degrees this morning when I got up, and it hit 70 today. Yeah. Whoa. Well, we had the 30 degrees, but it didn't get anywhere near 70. How are things in Memphis, Dr. Joe? Uh, well, it's cold here as well. We had a little brief rain, and uh, we're expecting relatively nice weather uh, into the holidays, uh, except for being cold. Well, that's what happens in November. So, Dr. Joe, what have you been up to lately? You're always busy with something. Anything going on with Paragon? Relatively quiet on the Paragon front. We've got a couple of big military contracts that are sort of pending in the pipeline kind of thing right now. And uh, I've been doing some teaching locally with the uh, uh, EMT and paramedic classes. It's nice to see that they are actually fairly full, which is extremely encouraging since uh, everybody that uh, I work with on a regular basis is desperately searching for uh uh, additional help. So I'm encouraged that uh, maybe there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Well, it isn't a freight train. <laughs> oh, I don't know that. So, we'll see. But fingers <laughs> crossed. So, Jamie, I know where you've been. Uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about where you've been? Oh, I just spent the last week um, on at a conference that um, – uh, for authors. Uh, so it's my opportunity to get out around my writer friends. And uh, this was a conference that hadn't happened for two years. So it was nice getting folks back together. We were all masked up most of the time, except when we were eating. And it was um, it was a good conference and got a lot of learning done and networking and, uh, um, you know, excited to uh, get together with folks again. It's been a long time. Well, hopefully I can get some some of the files from you or find them online because they put out some pretty good stuff and I'll be there next year. I will. I heard that. I actually ran into one of your um, uh, writer friends from one of your, one of the groups you belong to. I forget which one, but she came up and introduced herself to me. Was that Heather Davis? I think it might've been. No relation. Actually, she's one of my dog sitting clients. <laughs> we got to talking about, writing because she had a big box of writing on it and that's how we got started talking about that she goes oh have you ever been to 20 books it's like yeah i have but i need to go back so i'm glad she did that that's pretty cool i told her to look for you anyway moving right along we have our friend dan mcguire with us again tonight who's um having some pains with his internet but we're not going to go there <laughs> but dan no we shall not <laughs> it'll get him stressed out and we're talking about cism so you know that's not good but you've been doing some interesting uh police training in tennessee 
And we know how yeah. these Tennessee people are. They're a hardy bunch, and but it sounds uh, like it went well. It went very well. It was um, uh, two total weeks of training over um, about a, a six weeks. I went down for a week, uh, late September, um, did a refresher class for the Knoxville Police Department, who I've been working with for more than 15 years now. And uh, they're really taking their peer support team that I helped set up back 15 years ago and just expanding it in directions that uh, is, I, I, I can and probably will talk about it forever tonight, but I'll, I'll try to uh, retain myself. Uh, so we, we did the uh, the advanced or the, the basic class first. Everybody got their good foundation, and then uh, we did the uh, the advanced class, and then we also did the acute traumatic stress management for law enforcement professionals. And um, so it was really nice to get back to Knoxville. I uh, they are a second family to me. They treat me l like a family member down there, uh, which is both good and good. Um, and for the first time in my life, uh, when they took me out to lunch one day, I now can proudly say I have eaten a fried pickle, a deep fried pickle, because they deep fry everything in the South, and uh, <clears throat> that was part of my initiation for the first week that I had to have deep fried pickles with my lunch. So uh, I'm a better man for it. But uh, Knoxville Police, uh, it was uh, they weren't bad. I, I I had all kinds of weird expectations. Um, I have re eaten rattlesnake and ants before, but. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole other story. But uh, th they are a very progressive police department. Um, I've been working with their deputy chief all these 15 years, and um, um, we just trained uh, a to total number of people. They went through the uh, all of the classes was 37 different officers, people from the forensics department. Um, people from um, it, it, every department you can imagine uh, within a police agency uh, were all represented there. And uh, Knoxville Police has also been a sterling example of how to really put together a excellent uh, law enforcement chaplain program. Uh, and I've been working with them for 15 years as well. And so it's Really great to get back and see people I haven't seen in a couple of years and meet a lot of new new folks. And um, I had a ball down there, and um, um, and I try not to eat too many deep-fried pickles every day, but um, <laughs> <laughs> they were there, so I, I, I had to. And I was introduced uh, to another hospitality, right? <laughs> very, very good Southern hospitality, and uh, another Southern tradition I was introduced to is a candy bar that I've never heard of called a Zero Bar. And um, so, on the last day that I was down there during the second week, um, they presented me with a box of uh, twenty-four. 
zero candy bars for me to bring back to Rochester. So uh, uh, <laughs> awesome. they always treat me well. And uh, they're some of the finest officers that I've ever worked with and probably ever will work with. So, so Joe, is uh, zero bars and fried pickles uh, adding up to you as a Tennessee thing? Uh, it's totally a thing for sure. Fried pickles are awesome. Uh, and as are fried green tomatoes, you should try those too. Uh, yeah, the candy bars are always good. Oh, yes. They were so good. It, it, it's a well, kind of like a nostalgic candy bar. It's been around forever. And um, one of the lieutenants was eating like three and four of them every day through my each of my classes. And uh, so I finally went out and bought one and out of the vending machine and um, at the training academy and uh, loved it. And I had to get 24 candy bars through TSA coming home. So that was always a uh, <laughs> surprise. They didn't an interesting thing. Uh, yes. Yes. But I, I'm. Very pleased to report all 24 candy bars arrived back home with me. Very nice. nice. They won't last long. Well, <laughs> nope. <for real. laughs> well, you know, I got to ask you, and, and we all know, everyone in this room knows how difficult it was back in the 80s and early 90s to sell CISM to cops and firefighters and anybody else, but especially cops. I mean, you've been oh, doing yeah. this for 15 years with them. Have you seen it? Did it really take that long to get them where they are now? Were they very reluctant at first? And well, actually, time? It, um, when I got the very first email from uh, the, the deputy chief that I've been working with, um, uh, she had just got promoted to deputy chief, and the then chief uh, gave her one assignment for her new job, and he said, I want you to build us a peer support team. So we were lucky that we had this support literally from the top officer of the Knoxville Police Department, and uh, the chief chaplain was very much involved, of course. And uh, so because it started from the top and we really worked diligently uh, for the first whole month, we didn't do any training at all. We sat in a conference room. Uh, uh, gosh, I was down there uh, every other week for a couple of months. And what our plan was, and, and I think this is what worked, is that we – we talked exactly about what you just said, Sam. How are we going to sell this through to everybody and realize that not everybody is going to open uh, openly accept this? And uh, of course, there there were some rough starts, but uh, because of a, an incident uh, when I was down uh, my second week. Uh, an officer was shot in the middle of while I was doing uh, a training program, and I have never been directly involved in an officer-involved shooting or a officer being shot in the line of duty. And um, of course, uh, 
everybody that was in the classroom literally exploded out of the room. Um, I was watching these people put on all kinds of Kevlar protective things, bringing out long guns, putting on all kinds of um, equipment, and they were screaming out to where this officer uh, had called out, officer down, officer needs assistance. And I, I was standing there at the training academy all by myself, and I, I didn't know what to do. But what happened was the uh, the chief of the department and the deputy chief, uh, they contacted me later that day once I got back to the hotel. And they said, Dan, look it you are the only one who is trained and certified in CISM. We have 40 plus officers who are angry, upset, and um, are just beside themselves because this was the second time this officer had been shot in the line of duty. So uh, there is a lot of high index, a lot of high uh, stress factors um, in the whole event. So they held me over one day, and <clears throat> this was probably the biggest challenge of my entire CISM career of almost 30 years, that they asked me to uh, run a debriefing for all of the officers who were, who were directly involved at the scene of the shooting, who um, were the first officers on the scene to uh, take care of the officer who was shot. So I walked into this room of 40, uh, there was detectives, homicide detectives, forensics, um, captains, lieutenants, you know, just a whole gamut of the people who were directly involved with the shooting event. And they were angry. There was real power in that room, and that power was, uh, I'll say, not very positive at that moment. But something magic happened. Uh, before I started the diffusing, and I, here was a stranger from um, a Yankee uh, down in the, uh, the southern uh, part of the country, who talks funny uh, compared to the way they talk in Knoxville, um, the chief of the department and his two deputy chiefs stepped inside the room and took the room's attention for just two minutes. They did not participate because they knew if they were going to stand in the room, things were not going to go good whatsoever because this was the first real introduction of any type of CISM in service or or uh, intervention that uh, these officers had really seen. But that chief, uh, Chief uh, Owen, um, he stood at that door with his two other chiefs and he said to the, to the room full of these very angry uh, KPD officers, he said, Gentlemen and ladies, I want you to listen and listen carefully. Neither am I or my two uh, deputy chiefs. We are not going to sit in, in on this. This is this session is for you. This is the new way we're taking care of our officers. Listen to what this man has to say, and please give this process your full attention and full beliefs. 
They turned on their heels, walked out the door, closed the door, and I was in that room with 40 officers for two hours, reviewing the event, <clears throat> doing the standard diffusing uh, process, doing all kinds of um, uh, CISM uh, support services, and I was scared to death because, again, uh, <laughs> forty did, angry cops and you. I think so. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, and again, I, I talked funny comparatively to them. And <clears throat> once we got through with the diffusing, and these officers felt a not being judged, that the session was confidential, the session was private. I was not taking anybody's names, notes, or anything, and, and I went over all of those ground rules in the beginning to give these officers an idea of this is how this works and this is how it's going to work. And um, we were there for almost two hours solid. And by the end of that two hours, those officers went from not saying a word and staring at the floor and uh, fists clenched to a very much more relaxed group of officers who were starting to open up about how this affected them and uh, how they need to think differently about officer self-care after events like this. And I, I flew home that evening and I was walking 10 feet off the ground for a week afterwards because it was literally the most powerful CISM intervention I've ever done in my career. And I had no time to prepare for it. And But again, this was the introduction of CISM to the Knoxville Police Department. Uh, it was completely explained as, as we were building the program, we wrote the SOPs, we interviewed people uh, to who's gonna be on the team. Uh, it was a very strict process before we even started any of the training. And that's what really turned a lot of heads to look at, hey, this is, this is something that w we need to listen to. And uh, that energy from that diffusing after that officer was shot is still there. And with any CISM team, peer support team, there is, and anybody who is out there who is trying to manage a team or put together a team, you have to be prepared for the wax and wane of members on the team. And that's the one thing that we made sure we were prepared for, because as some people got involved in this, they realized, you know, I'm not comfortable doing this and uh, chose to step off the team. And other people, you know, left the area for other jobs or uh, promotions and so forth. But the team stayed strong through the whole process. And now we just uh, train literally 37 uh, officers uh, to do this much expanded peer support whole process that, that I could take the whole night to talk about. <clears throat> uh, it was a, a long two weeks down there, but it was uh, really enriching to 
have that much interfacing and these hand-selected uh, officers who are going to now be on this new peer support team, they could not get enough of this information. And um, I'm still speaking to many of them via text and email that they still have more questions. And what about this? And uh, it, it was a very rewarding trip. And uh, I have been saying it for years that uh, if you want to do it right and build a law enforcement peer support team, go to Knoxville, sit down with the peer team coordinators, and you will learn how to do it right and how not to do it so your team is successful. Well, it sounds to me like uh, that, as bad as that incident was, it was great timing because you got to prove to them that this actually works. I think Jamie has a question. Yeah, Dan, sure. one, a question that came up to while you were talking, you mentioned that that first time, you know, you, you didn't have a chance to prepare. And I'm curious about the process. Um, you know, how much is it, pre how much is preparation by the coordinator important or is there a system that you teach that allows them to come in cold like that and, and make the system work? Well, it, it, to be very honest with you, for that incident, it was totally state of the pants because, again, we were still building the team, um, building even the framework of how the team was going to uh, operate within uh, the command structure and so forth. And I, I think what again, what really worked and helped these uh, 40 officers that were involved in that officer shooting by having the three top command leaders step in that room and commit to this is how we're going to better take care of our own. And they stated the fact we are not going to partake in this this is your time this is your place and we are not going to be expecting any reports back of what anybody said or didn't say and uh, because the top leadership was supportive from the beginning that was a a, a incredibly important I'll call it like a downwash of support to all other officers uh, in, the, in the department. And my preparing for that was, I, I, again, you know, I, I had to remember, okay, what's the difference between a diffusing and a debriefing? Uh, how am I going to need to adjust this with a, a group of people that I don't even know? Um, was I nervous? Absolutely. But um, I had to depend on what I've been teaching for so many years, what I know uh, works, and also to make the correct adjustments to the diffusing process, but without going outside of the stated uh, national standards and guidelines, but to fit the process to fit the group's needs, not the other way around. And I think that was one of the key things that worked, that uh, letting them just say what they needed to say and to express anger, their, their remorse, their sadness, their 
Um, and and I, I don't want to uh, reveal a, any personal information, of course, but I think it, it, this, this was a, um, a watershed event for the Knoxville Police Department because here was a critical incident, an officer that's been shot now twice in the line of duty. Uh, I mean, even the ambulance broke down, transporting this officer on the way to the trauma center. So they had to bring another ambulance in. That was another high uh, index of uh, stress for these officers. Um, so I, I had to adapt the diffusing process, which has the standard five steps, but I also had to adapt it to fit the needs of the group and not try to get them to do it by the book and because they, they didn't know what the book even looked like and had never been exposed to it. Wow, that's they were just darn lucky you were there. Joe, you have an expert in? Well, I, I think, it, uh, you know, the, the two things stand out to me, obviously, uh, the quality of the work that you do uh, and the trust that you uh, entail with that. But to me, that also says that there is excellent leadership in that department who is not threatened by that and is happy to step aside and let the experts do what they do uh, for the good of the department. So that to me, that shows uh, pretty impressive leadership on the part of that department. Absolutely. And, and Doc, you're, you're right on the money with the leadership at that point. And again, you know, this was uh, 15 years ago. Um, they, they put all their trust into what I was bringing in and, and based on the few uh, project meetings that we had had prior to this. And uh, they literally just handed me sort of the, the keys to, to the department and let me do what I thought was best for what these officers needed. And um, I still have connections to some of those officers who were in that debris diffusing 15 years ago that um, still stay in contact with me and tell me what we heard that day is still helping me to this day going forward. Excellent. Um, yes. We're going to switch gears here a little bit, and I want Jamie and Joe to throw in on this, but we wanted to talk a little bit about first responders, any and all of them, and how they're affected by the holidays. There's got to be oh. positive and negative there. So, Dan, why don't you kind of run with that? And then we'll let Jim and well, Jamie and Joe in. I, yes, I will certainly not try to um, talk the whole time out. <clears throat> Having being on duty Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, uh, Thanksgiving Day, missing family dinners, and um, uh, it, it is difficult because while we're in that uniform and someone dials 911, especially in the middle of a uh, a major holiday and you have all kinds of family there and a, a lot of joy and all of a sudden a, a tragic moment hits. And uh, when we walk in that door, there's a lot of high expectations, even higher than the standard day-to-day -day expectations that, uh, you know, do something, do something. And 
And I know there's a lot of the responders that I worked with when I was in the field um, that chose to work on the holidays. And, and this is the sad part because they didn't have any family to go have dinner with. They didn't have any families and friends to be invited to. So their way to deal with this feeling of abandonment and feeling of loneliness was, well, I, I'm going to put myself on duty and um, try to keep my mind off what I'm not enjoying, what other people are enjoying. And, and I've heard those stories over the years, and they're 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 sad in in many ways. It's a survival tactic, I believe. Uh, for these folks, um, and I think they—that's they, just their way to s still be doing something, something that's going to be of good. But still, they're missing that—that that family connection, the family celebrations, the family traditions. And that can lead all to all kinds of exacerbations of depressions, anxieties, um, uh, anything that, that has happened in the past may be brought up um, as they're working a code in, in the middle of Christmas Day. Um, having done that, um, I know what that does to the rest of the holiday spirit. So, but you know what, Dan, there's another side to that, because I used to work the holidays almost all the time. And it's not that I didn't have a family, you know, but I didn't have kids. And a lot of my coworkers did. And, you know, Thanksgiving and so forth was around that. So I felt good about the fact I could give them the day off because it didn't Absolutely. Much to yeah. me. So for me, it was a, it was a, a good thing. Because it was a choice I, I made. I have to agree with that because I, I know there are folks out there that that just simply don't have a lot of family, and uh, that they make that sacrifice to uh, work those uh, shifts, and so those who do have families can have that break and have that true uh, deep breath moment and not worry that uh, is the page you're going to go off and am I going to have to uh, leave the, the dinner table. And uh, so I, I, I'm glad you brought up that positive side because I think that's important that all respondents hear that there's a positive reasons to do that, but also the reality is still there that uh, there's plenty of us responders out there that don't have good, solid, uh, continuing family connections, and we end up eating out of a uh, vending machine at the hospital for Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas morning breakfast. Well, the word here then is appreciate for those of you listening that aren't for responders, which I realize aren't too many, um, appreciate the people that are out there working for whatever reason, because somebody's still got to do it. You know, they still got to be out there taking care of people. Jamie, what are your thoughts on that? I know in my community, it, you know, it's volunteer service here. Um, and, and so a lot of people, you know, literally come from their own family gatherings and celebrations to respond to the firehouse and get the ambulance or the engines out. Um, and it is one of those things that 
Well, I notice most in that is is the sense of you know giving back to the community, and um, you know there there have been situations where um, you know families have had you know fires on Christmas Eve and lost everything, and um, within hours the word spreads and people are bringing you know gifts from under their own tree to rebuild a family Christmas for the family that lost it. And, yep. you know, and, and I think that that sense of, of community support, especially in a community supported by volunteer responders is something that, that really helps tie the whole spirit of the holiday together because the holidays hold such high expectations sometimes in our minds of what it should be. Um, and I, I think sometimes these opportunities to see, you know, the reality of some, some people who don't have anything, um, helps, helps ground us in a, a more realistic approach to what, what's out there for us. So that's, that's my feeling on it. That's great. And I totally agree, Joe. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go along the same lines as Jamie here. You know, I think it's in those tragic circumstances that we have the opportunity to uh, see the good in them and turn them into uh, ultimately uh, uh, an experience that at least has some positivity to it. So, uh, you know, yes, someone may have lost their home uh, over the holidays, but. Uh, the entire community came together to respond to that and develop new relationships and a shared experience and, and all of that. So I think I think part of this is maintaining perspective uh, on uh, why you're there and and looking for the good in things as opposed to, you know, another terrible, tragic holiday event destroyed. Uh, in reality, there's there's an awful lot of good things that can come out of that as well. Amen Absolutely. to that. <laughs> really, but you you still see that community level support in a large city like Memphis, right, Joe? It's very different than what Jamie is doing. Yeah, we do. I mean, there's there's no there's there's not much in the way of volunteer services here. It's almost all professional. Um, but you know, nevertheless, there's tremendous camaraderie among the uh, the guys that are having to work that shift, and they're busy helping each other out. And, uh, you know, they, they also get an opportunity to witness the community step up, <coughs> excuse me, to do the right thing and support their neighbors. Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, the things you guys are talking about are, we seem to have a lot more empathy around the holidays just because of the nurturing and, and compassion that it brings. So when we see people in these situations like a fire or someone having a cardiac arrest, which isn't unusual just because of the stress of family being together, um, I, I think it's even a little bit harder to deal with it then than it does during the, you know, any other day and the rest of the year. Right, Dan? Oh, yeah, cause, and I agree with what uh, Jamie said. Uh, the holidays are, are just so front loaded with expectations and that uh, everybody should be happy and uh, everybody should be thankful. And I think it's also important that we, we do try to look 
in that direction, regardless of where we sit and and where we work and where we live. And sometimes those expectations um, get in the way. And I, I think some of the traditions that we all dream about and see in the movies and um, especially some of the classical holiday movies, um, some of those have gone by the wayside. And uh, I think that it's a great time during the holidays to try to reach back and and remember those and and to um, bring them back online and uh, I, I come from a very large large family and um, right now we're already planning Christmas and I, I've got nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews and uh, really trying to keep the the originality of the holidays uh, passed on to them as well as it was passed on to me from my great grandparents and grandparents and uh, my mom. And uh, I, I think that's an important thing to not over ex ex expect that everything has got to be perfect. And um, yes, maybe uh, the roast is a little dry on one end, but um, that's something that we all can laugh about as a family. And um, keeping expectations in perspective, I think, is a, a very key thing that I would like to share. Well, lastly, um, for those people that do have a hard time with holidays, like you were explaining, they're working because they don't have any place to go. You know, obviously, there's a downside to that. There might be a little bit of depression post-holiday. Uh, what words of wisdom do you have for those folks? Well, I, I think first and foremost, something that I try to do when I find myself in in, in that exact moment is um, look for gratitude of the smallest piece to the largest piece that, that I have. And that gratitude could be that I woke up this morning and the gratitude, it could be that uh, I am serving my community uh, during these holidays and, and, and protecting the community. Uh, I think it's also important to keep your expectations realistic and be realistic about other people's expectations on how everything should be and ought to be and just let it be uh, is one of my favorite sayings. And when we all are going through all these holidays and, and all the traditions and so forth uh, and the lights and presents and decorations and so forth, um, I think there can be a little bit of a melancholy um, thread going through all of us of, of things that maybe didn't go well this year. And of course, with all the COVID stuff that's still going on, um, I, I know that that's really affected a lot of people, but really try to, it's something that um, mental health professionals called reframing is, try to find and and really look for something positive out of your situation 
and again, try to reframe that maybe that more sad, depressed vision in your uh, mind's eye at the moment. And what can I be thankful for? And uh, what am I lucky to have? And everybody has the gratitude to be alive each and every day that our higher power gives us. And it allows us to do what we all love to do, and that is to uh, run calls, save lives, and um, build that camaraderie with those that we're working with, because it's uh, that is indeed our second family. And as I've said on many podcasts, uh, we have a biological family, yes, but we also have our uh, EMS fire hospital families that sometimes we're even more closer to and uh it reach out yeah reach out when you're feeling your lowest and reach out just to talk to somebody and um and one of the most powerful things that i can suggest is try to do something good for yourself and yourself only, and that can really relight um, what's inside all of us. Oh, absolutely. Great stuff, Dan. Well, Jamie, it's about that time. I'm going to throw it back to you. Yeah, and, and this has been a great discussion. Um, you know, that it's, it's important for us all to keep that perspective, um, to think about uh, how the holidays affect us before they get here. And for some of us, that those days are harder than others, um, and and to um, fall back on our training and and um, the things we've learned along the way uh, to do things like reframing and things like that. Um, one of the things that that we are super thankful for here on the show is our sponsor, Paragon Medical Education Group. Uh, they have been with us for years and help bring the disaster podcast to life and keep it running for all this time. And so I just want to thank Dr. Joe for the uh, amazing support and um, for the incredible training and opportunities that you bring to the services that you help along the way. So um, where can folks find out more about what Paragon's up to right now? Oh, well, thanks so much, Jamie. We, we love being here because we always learn so much and uh, our, our guests and our listeners are uh, an amazing uh, resource for all of us, but us in particular. Uh, we always are looking for folks to reach out to us and find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group. Uh, or you can get us uh, through the Disaster Podcast at disasterpodcast.com or on our Facebook page. Excellent. And uh, it's great having you back. Uh, I know a week off seems like so long when we don't talk to each other on a weekly basis all the time. So <laughs> True. good good hearing everybody's voice. Um, Dan, great having you on the show. Where can folks find out more about what you're doing? Um, you know, where can they figure out how to bring you into their system and, and get some of the excellent resources on board that you provide? Yeah, well, I, obviously through this podcast, uh, which is one of my favorite shows to be part of, and I'm very thankful to be uh, part of, the, of this discussions group from time to time. And 
you can do a Google search for simply CISM Perspectives. It's also our Facebook uh, address as well as our website address. And uh, just remember those two words, CISMperspectives.com or on Facebook. And uh, we're always ready and willing to talk to anybody and uh, do what we can do from our my small office here in Rochester and uh, give direction and uh, as I told everybody in Knoxville, I'm one of the luckiest people alive because I don't work for a living. I have fun for a living. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so Sam, where can folks find you? Well, you know, just a thought, Jamie, talking about family, we definitely have a family. We're pushing 10 years here, uh, here on the Disaster Podcast, and God love it. And, and all the people that have, I am thankful, if we were to ask that question, for all the great guests we've had over the years. And, you know, the great group that's in the Facebook group, and many of which have been guests and I just wanted to say that, but I'm everywhere that both Dan and Joe talked about under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. What about you, Jimmy? People can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So I look forward to catching up with folks there. And also, of course, over at disasterpodcast.com, where you can find links to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our episodes. And in our Disaster Podcast Facebook group, just search for Disaster Podcast, join the group, and join the fun. And we look forward to having you over there. Um, anyway, Sam, it's great to um, chat with you all and uh, good topic tonight. I know we've got some great topics in, in the um, schedule for the coming weeks as well as we round out the year. So I'm looking forward to uh, closing out to 2021 with you. I know. Scary thought, isn't it? Well, you know, when I look back at everything we've talked about, you know, and how much more sensitive the holidays are for everybody working out there, I, you know, something Dan just said, it, it, don't be afraid to reach out if things are down for you and and be more aware of your partners and your friends and even the er folks because they may need a little love too and that's that's the best we can do 